No matter how high you're going to rise or no matter what the dips are that you deal with, you're going to go through some stuff. When you fall. Welcome to Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. And today, I don't plan on being particularly long, but God spoke today before I begin. He said, today, disregard time, because there will be one who will need what I will lead you to say today. And I don't know whether that one is in the sanctuary. I don't know whether that one is watching us by live stream. I don't know whether that one will listen later. I don't even know whether that one will listen a hundred years from now. Because our time and our sight and our vision and our comprehension is not God's. He thinks on a whole different level than we do. So today I'm going to do the best that I can to explain to you what God has for me to say. And for those of you who are looking at me in the sanctuary right now, you probably will notice on the right side of my face, I have some bruises, some marks, some scrapes, some scratches, some scars. And I know some of you are wondering, well, Pastor, where did you get that from? I fell. That's where I got it from. And when I told Pastor James why I fell, he said, that is exactly what you asked for. <laughs> that is exactly what you asked for. And I'm going to speak today from the subject of when you fall. Proverbs 24, 16 says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Now, this is actually the first time in my recollection that I have ever fallen and actually hurt myself because I fell. My face hit this concrete and it bruised all up. It was all bloody, but it wasn't as bad as the last scooter crash that I had over in Greece. This wasn't bad at all compared to that, but it was the first time I've ever truly fallen and had bruises and hurt myself because normally if I fall, I'll always catch myself with my hands and my head has never hit the ground. But this time I was actually coming out of the grocery store and I was walking up on a curve crossing the street. My feet tripped on the curve and I fell over and I had in my hand, my right hand, I had three bags of groceries wrapped around my wrist. And in one of the bags was a gallon of water. So normally I would have caught myself on my hand, but I had all these bags of groceries. Sometimes we fall and hurt ourselves because we're just carrying too much stuff. And I just had too much stuff, so I caught my left hand. I mean, it caught the ground, but my right side hit the ground. So as I was telling James this, he said, why did you fall? I said, well, I actually fell because I had on my glasses. And I know you were saying, well, why in the world would you fall if you had on the glasses? It's like you'd have fell if you didn't have on the glasses. No, 
For those of you who have some strong glasses, what you will notice is when you put the glasses on, you can see real good straight ahead, but it distorts that which is down below. That's why when you walk upstairs and you've got on real strong glasses, you have to be careful where you step because it's not level and it's not clear. It's distorted down below. And if you remember a few sermons ago when I talked about no rails and one of the things God had told me, don't wear your glasses and I'm going to strengthen your eyes. If you do what I tell you to do with your eye exercise and don't wear your glasses. I hadn't had those glasses on for weeks, but I put them on that day. (laughs) And the day before, James and I had been discussing this deep stuff about wishes and how God had asked me, ask me what you want. And it took me a while to really come up with an answer to that. Because that's not a simple question. And I talked about that in the sermon, what would you wish for? And I came up with my answer and my answer was this. I said, Lord, I want you to help me to fulfill the divine destiny that you have for me. But I put a caveat on it. A caveat means something. It's kind of an exception. It's a but. I said, but you can be kind of rough. I said, look. I don't want you to be overly rough with me. I'm not going to say I want you to just put on as much as I can bear because I can bear a lot and I can bear almost anything. I don't want that. I said, Lord, no, don't you put on me all that I can bear. I said, what I want is this. I want to fulfill your destiny, but you give me just enough pain to get me back on track. Just enough pain to remind me when I have not done what you told. Don't you put me in the hospital. Don't you just mess me up. No, you give me just enough pain to remind me that I'm off track, that I need to get back on track, that I need to get back into your will, get back. You give me just enough pain. Don't you mess me up because you can mess a Negro up. So I don't want all that heavy pain. I never will forget the brothers of the word. We were at Hope Smith's church, Pastor Hope Smith down in Madison. And after the service, there was a banquet going on. So we were eating. And one of Pastor Smith's friends, he said, I have just asked God to just humble me, humble me. And the brothers of the word, he don't know what he done asked with that. You don't know what you're going to ask with that. I'm not going to ever. I'm going to put some caveats on it because God will often heed what you ask him. And I've seen that with me. He'll fulfill exactly what I asked. So I said, Lord, no, 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 no. Because actually, even with my vision, the clearest my vision has ever been was when I was humbled the most. It was when I was speaking at Dick Gregory's funeral. There was 8,000 folk in the audience. and I had the most embarrassing moment of my life. But after that, my vision was just sharper than it had ever been. And I kind of understood when you're humble, you can see just clear and something just happened with my eyes and with my body. So I think that's in the sermon, Why 50 Cent? But it was this amazing occurrence. But I had to go through this serious, humbling experience. And when that fella asked that, we knew that. I don't, woo, we're not going to ask that. That fella had all kind of issues. He told me what had happened to him. He had a brain tumor. He caught his wife with another man. He said, he's all kind of stuff. I said, look, don't you send me through that. I don't want all this pain. I want just enough pain to get me back on track. Just enough and no more. 
So when I told Pastor James that was the reason why I felt because I had on those glasses, he said, that is exactly what you asked God. And actually, when I hit my head, it was scraped and still scraped. It's been three days ago. It's basically scabbed over its heel. It has no pain to it. But it is a reminder. And it may leave a scar. I don't care if it leaves a scar. Because every time I look in the mirror, that scar will remind me, do what God tells you to do so you won't get another scar. And one of the first things you need to do when you fall is ask yourself, why did I fall? It wasn't because the curb was there. That was not the reason. It was because I had on the glasses. And I have had on glasses. I've worn glasses almost all of my life, except when I got the RK surgery. And I probably was, this was before I got married. So I had to have been maybe 35 years old when I had that surgery. When I was in Iceland, I went to a a photographic place, and they do photographs of your eyes, and they blow them up into these big photographs. So I've got a photograph in my office of my eyes. But when they saw my eyes, all of the folk ran over and said, we've never seen this before. You got six slits in your eyes. I said, yeah, I had what's called radiokeratotomy years ago. Now LASIK is the popular surgery, but before LASIK was this, and they cut your slits they cut six slits in my eyes with a razor blade. Well, you call it a surgical scalpel, but it's a, laser, it's a razor blade. They cut six slits in my eyes with a razor blade, but somehow those slits cleared up my vision. But they're still there. If you look at them under a microscope or through a high-powered camera, you see six slits in my, both of my eyeballs. And they had never seen anybody with that in their eyeballs before. So you walk into my office, there's this picture of my eyes, and you see the six slits in my eyes. Sometimes you got to be cut so you can see some stuff clear. So there are things and there are principles that you have to go through some stuff. And we have to go through some pain sometimes. So when you fall, and you got to be honest about it. It's not the curb. We blame the curb. The curb was if the curb hadn't have been there, I would not. And that's true. If the curb hadn't have been there, I wouldn't have fallen. But it wasn't the curb's fault. Well, Pastor, you older. I do all kinds. That had nothing to do with that. There was nothing wrong with my balance. I had on them glasses, and I had on the glasses against what God had told me. That was the real problem. The problem wasn't the glasses. The problem wasn't the curb. The problem was walking in disobedience. And whenever you walk in disobedience, I don't care where you walk. Whenever you walk in disobedience, you are liable to fall. It precedes a fall. So when you fall, what do you do? I'm going to tell you just two things to do. And actually, this comes from C. Elijah's last message. His last message, number 7978, my cup runneth over. C. Elijah says this. He says, whenever you are faced with a difficult situation or a difficult person, ask yourself two questions. Number one, how should I respond? And number two, how can I serve? Two questions. Whenever you fall, how should I respond? How should I serve? And I had a recent situation of where I was really pissed off. I mean, I just pissed off. Let me tell you about that. I walked into the bathroom and I walked into the stall and I looked at the commode and the seat was down and somebody had urinated all over the commode. So when I say I was pissed off, I'm literally talking. That's exactly what I mean. They had urinated all over the commode. 
And then they urinated on the floor. So I'm standing there looking at that. I said, why these nasty folk? I'm just a fussing about these nasty folk. And then I hear God speak. That's why sometimes it's not all that pleasant to hear the voice of God. I'm standing there in the bathroom, in the stall with the door. I'm looking at the commode, all this urine over it, all this urine on the floor. And I hear God speak. You clean it up. I said, what? You clean it up. Just as clear, you clean it up. I said, look, that ain't my job. I don't have a mop. I don't have any disinfectant. You want me to do what? And I'm out here in a public bathroom. You want me to do you clean it up. And you leave it clean. For the next person. And this was before I had heard see Elijah's last message. How should I respond? How can I serve? And sometimes when we hear the word of God like that, we just walk away. Because there's not something we want to do. We don't want to get down on our knees. I mean, I didn't get on my knees. I just stooped down. But I'd had enough experience to know don't disobey the voice of God when you're hearing it that clearly. First of all, there's my scientific mind that understood urine is actually not nasty. It's in our psychological mind. Let me give you a bit of survival advice. I went for a year taking a survival course in North Carolina. I went every month for a year and they taught us how to live off the land. And if stuff happens, if you ever get hurt out in the woods and you don't have any alcohol, if you don't have any bactrim or something to sterilize it, urinate on it. Yeah, it's in the survival manual. Urine in the healthy person is sterile. So if you got a wound, and I know this sounds like, yeah, but that may save your life. <laughs> so, so it's sterile. So I knew it wasn't nasty. It just looked nasty and it smelled nasty. I didn't want to fool with it at all. So I had to get some toilet paper, wipe in this seat, then pull up the seat, wipe the rim off, then get out and wipe the foot. The next person who walked in that stall, it looked like the janitor had just left. I didn't want to do it. How should I respond? And how can I serve? Whenever you face with a difficult situation or a difficult person, how should I respond? How can I serve? Because, see, we will all fall at one point or another in one area of life with one situation or another. When he was seven years old, his family was forced out of their home because of a legal technicality. He had to work to help support them. At age nine... While still a backward, shy little boy, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to go to law school, but his education was not good enough. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. Three years later, his business partner died, leaving him a huge debt that took years to repay. At 28... After developing a romantic relationship with a young lady for four years, he asked her to marry him. She said no. 
An earlier youthful love he shared with a lovely girl ended in heartache because she died. At 37, on his third try, he was finally elected to Congress. Two years later, he ran again and failed to be reelected. About this time, he had what some today would call a nervous breakdown. At 41, adding additional heartache to an already unhappy marriage, his four-year-old son died. The next year, he was rejected for land officer. At 45, he ran for the Senate again and lost. Two years later, he was defeated for nomination for vice president. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost again. At 51, he was elected president of the United States. But in his second term in office, it was cut short because he was assassinated. As he lay dying in a little rooming house across from the place where he was shot, a former secretary of war, Edwin Stanton, spoke the following tribute. Now he belongs to the ages. It was spoken of the most inspirational and highly regarded president in American history, Abraham Lincoln. How will you respond? How will you serve? You're going to fall. And sometimes you will have multiple falls and failures and scrapes and skirmishes and stuff that will happen in your life. No matter how high you're going to rise or no matter what the dips are that you deal with, you're going to go through some stuff. How will you respond? And how will you serve? Those are the two questions that see Elijah presented in his last message. And those are the two questions that hit me when I looked at all that mess in that commode. How will you respond? And see, there are always multiple ways of responding to the identical situation. This ain't my problem. I'm going to leave it here and go to another stall and let them deal with that mess. And you know, since that incident in that stall, and that was about a week ago. I have cleaned up more places when I've gone to. I was at a place and I picked up the trash, went and put in trash. I said, Look, wherever I go, I'm going to leave place. How can I serve? If I have to serve as a janitor, so be it. How can I serve? Instead of just walking past and just fussing at it, just leaving all that mess. You're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. How will I respond? How can I serve? Will I respond with the mind of Christ? Or will I respond with the mind of the world? When you fall. On New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech played the University of California in the Rose Bowl. In that game, a man named Roy Regals recovered a fumble for the University of California. But somehow he got a little confused and he ran 65 yards in the wrong direction. One of his teammates outdistanced him and downed him just before he crossed the touchdown line and scored for Georgia Tech. When California attempted to punt, Tech blocked the kick and scored a safety, which was the ultimate margin of victory. That strange play came in the first half, and everyone who was watching the game asked the same question. What will Coach Nibs Price do with Roy Regals in the second half? The men filed off the field and went into the dressing room, and they sat down on the benches on the floor, all but Regals. 
He put his blanket around his shoulders, sat down in a corner, put his face in his hands, and cried like a baby. If you've ever played football, you know that a coach usually has a great deal to say to his team during halftime. That day, Coach Price was quiet. No doubt he was trying to decide what he was going to do with Regals. Then the timekeeper came in and announced that there was three minutes before the playing began. Coach Price looked at the team and simply said, Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. The players got up and fouled out all but Regals. He didn't budge. The coach looked back and called to him again. Still, he didn't move. Coach Price went over to where Regals sat and he said, Roy, didn't you hear me? Didn't you hear me say that the same team that played the first half will start the second? Then Roy looked up to the coach and he said, cheeks were all wet and tears and he's a big strong man, but he's just a crying. Coach, he said, I can't do that to save my life. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I've ruined my teammates. I can't face that crowd in that stadium to save my life. Coach Price reached over, put a hand on Regal's shoulder and said to him, Roy, get up and get back in that game. The game is only half over. The game is only half over. And Roy Regals went back and those Georgia Tech men will tell you they have never seen a man play football as Roy Regals played that second half. The game is only half over. Some of you have fallen and you think because I've had a failure, because I've had a mishap, I've had a failed business, I've had a failed marriage, I've had a failed this, I didn't finish school, I've had this that went wrong. Some of you think that because you have fallen that it's over. The game is half over. And you got to understand that you still got a lot ahead of you. Don't you understand that just because and just because some other people can't see what's in you, you know what's in you. And don't let other folk tell you what's not in you. You know what you can do. You know the destiny that God has breathed into you. Sometimes even your own parents can't see what's in you. Do you know if you ask somebody who was the greatest king of the Bible, most of the people are going to say King David. But do you know how King David got there? God told the prophet Samuel, go over to Jesse's house and there you will find the next king and you are to anoint him. And he went over to Jesse's house. Jesse had nine sons and eight of them paraded before Samuel. And Jesse brought out one after another. He said, this is about the king. He's tall, big, strong, good looking. This is the king. Samuel said, ain't him. Ain't him. And Jesse brought one after another until finally Samuel had to ask Jesse, do you have another son? And Jesse said, yeah, I got one more. He out there in the field. He's a shepherd out there in the field. Samuel said, go get him. His daddy didn't know who he was. Sometimes folk will not know what God has put in you. The game is not over. You still got another half to play. And you have to understand this when you fall, when you've gone through some trials and some tribulation and the world thinks that you washed up, that you a has been, that just because you've gone through some trials and some tribulations and have lost some stuff, the world will think it's over for you because sometimes the world does not know what God has placed in you. 
God knows that. God sees it. God will speak it to you. Samuel said, go get him. And when he came, this, the son that you couldn't even recognize. You don't even know the names of the mother eight. They may have been big. They may have been strong. They may have been smart. They may have been good. You don't even know the names. The daddy could not even recognize because there are some things God has in you. And you have to have that touch to put it on fire and to spark it. And once Samuel touched David, a spark lit in him. And he knew. And he could go and become king and become the greatest king. But even David fell. David had some issues. He fell with Bathsheba. He had some issues. But he had to get up. And he had to say, Lord, why did I fall? And even the prophet Nathan had to come tell him that. So when you fall, you got to ask, Lord, why did I fall? It wasn't because of the curb. It wasn't because of Bathsheba was there. You got to recognize why did you fall? And if you're not honest with yourself why you fell, you're going to fall again. So you got to know the thing that God has put in you. And you got to understand the game. It's but half over. Some of you say, well, I'm too old, Pastor, to do anything. In 1914, Thomas Edison's manufacturing facilities in West Orange, New Jersey, burned down. Edison lost all of his equipment and all of the records of the work that he had done. The next morning, walking around the smoking remains of his hopes and dreams, the 67-year-old inventor said, There is value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start fresh. (laughs) The game is only half over. Now Edison, when he was walking around his plant in 1914, at 67 years old, same age as me, when he was walking around his plant, he saw in all of this smoke and all of this disaster, how will you respond? How will you serve? He responded, yay. It's burned up. All our mistakes are burned up. We can now start fresh. It was a mindset and it was a mentality. Now, in 1914, the average man lived to 52 years old. So at the time, Edison was already 15 years beyond the average male lifespan. Folk would have looked at Edison and said, man, your stuff done burn up now. You might as well just hang it up. Just go somewhere and retire and die. You already done lived 15 years beyond the average man. Be satisfied with that. Edison, I don't care what you say. I know what God has put in me. And the game is but half over. And let me tell you what happened at 67. Let me tell you what else Edison invented. He invented the phonograph. He invented the motion picture camera. So every time you go to the movies, when we have movie night, that's Edison after 67. He invented the battery. So every time you put a battery in a flashlight or put a battery in anything, when you put a battery in a remote control, when I had to put a battery in my microphone train, that's Edison. Not only is that Edison, that's Edison after my age. So what do you got left to do? The game is but half over. Don't you sit down and die. The game is but half over. Don't you let the falls in life keep you down. Get up and get back in the game. He created the mimeograph machine. He created a way to make synthetic rubber. All 
remember this. After, after, after 67. When you fall, those two questions. How will I respond? How can I serve? Life has just got some stuff. And I am so thankful to God. Because I just enjoy life and I enjoy the thrills and the textures and all of the experiences of life. Even the rough stuff. See Elijah sitting over there. You remember when we went to Fort Lauderdale? You remember that one of the roughest storms ever been there? We're driving along the main street. Man just comes up off the exit, bams in our car and takes off. See, we had a rental car. I didn't have any insurance on a rental car. So we had to find an auto repair place. It was storming like they were having record break. Oh, we just had an adventure and a half. We had to wade through the water. The water was up to our thighs. We had an adventure and a half. How will you respond? No need of me getting mad at the man who hit our car and did a hit and run. No need. I can't do it. How will you respond? Man, we getting ready to have us an adventure. Here we got to find us an auto. That fellow was a character. That's one trip you will never forget. I thank God for just gracing me with adventures. And sometimes when you live an adventurous life, you recognize it and you understand a zest for life. And God just even spoke. He said, look, one of the reasons you got to go, you're not going to be in the middle. You're going to be terrific or terrible. And God has given me actual examples of men who are on both ends, the terrific and the terrible. I know who they are. And I know what situation they're in. And I know without question, I don't want to be in that terrible. Without question. The terrific actually is Suzanne's daddy. He's in his late 80s. He got married about four years ago. I think he was like 82, 83. He married a woman like 40. And then he was too much for her in the bed. I said, what kind of man is this? So I said, I said, I said what kind of man is this? He goes everywhere. He drove to Cali. He drives 3,000 miles. He does all the driving. I said, this is the kind of man I want to be like. But that's terrific. That's not an average. And see, sometimes you got to have even in your mind, you got to even see something to know this is even possible. I know the terrible is possible. You can see plenty of examples. I know the terrible is possible. But very few of us see the terrific to know what you could be. But to be what you could be, you cannot deviate from what God has told you to do. God wants you to be, it's not the army who, the army really doesn't want you to be all you can be. Not really. The army wants you to be a good soldier, but they don't want you to be all you can be. God wants you to be all you can be. God wants to take you to a true divine destiny. And that's why when I really boil down that wish, it all boiled that Lord, help me to reach your divine destiny. Because my divine, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a glory. Do you know, I've seen the glory of my future. Some of the stuff God has told me, it's just hard for me to even believe. I'm going to do what? What? It's just hard for me to even believe some of that stuff. But I do know in order to get there, I cannot be average. I've had six people who have seen me glowing and half of them not in this church. I've been out at some places and folk are just walking to me and said, you're glowing. When Jesus said, let your light shine, I didn't realize it was literal sometimes. So they're able to see some of the things God has placed in me that's coming. So I'm saying to myself, how 
Do I get myself in position to be and to do what God has destined me to do? And this thing is not particularly easy, but it is beautiful when you get in the journey. If you look at the situation in the right way, the journey is phenomenal. I was on my way to church. I was in my two-seater. I had my top down. Wind just blowing through my hair. I'm on the expressway, and a fellow drove by me in a slingshot. A slingshot is one of those motorcycles got two wheels on the front, big wheel in the back, and just open. And he drove by, and his hair just all blowing in the wind. He had his music on. He just looked over me. I'm in my car, my hand, and he could recognize that's the same spirit that fell in that car is the same spirit I'm in this slingshot here. We enjoying this ride. People, you ought to learn. See, you learn how to enjoy the ride of life even when it's bumpy. Some people pay for bumpy rides. You know that? Yeah, you go rent an ATV. You don't pay to just ride down the paved road just smooth. That's not what you pay for. You pay for going over here. Whoa, bam. Way bam. Whoa, bam. Then you're all covered with mud and all that. You come out, you just mud encrusted. When I took my company, we, I think we went to the Dominican Republic and we went on this ATV ride. We just went through mud holes. I had to throw my clothes away because I couldn't get the mud out. I never heard of that. I washed them in hot water with all this stink. It just wouldn't come out. But we paid to go through mud holes. To go up and down hills and to slam up and we paid for the adventure. And God has given some of you right now some adventure, free. But you call it pain. God calls it teaching. And you'll either learn or keep repeating the lesson. We have to make that decision. How will I respond? How can I serve? You're not too old. You haven't fallen too many times. The game is only half over. And what you can do is beyond what you have done. God has said your second half of life is going to be much better than your first. I believe that. And I got a hope and a joy for the future that is almost immeasurable. And I understand that future's got some bumps. It's got some crooked paths. It's got some mud in it. It's got some urine in it. Some things are going to piss me off. (laughs) But I have to clean them up. So God may send you into some situations that you don't even understand. But always ask yourself those two questions. How should I respond? How can I serve? And when you answer those through the eyes of Christ, life changes. For you and everyone who is around you, life changes. Because as I preached in the last sermon of when you die, it's not a question of if you fall. In one form or another, it is a question of when. And when you do, how will you respond? How can you serve? The answers to those questions will determine your height, your happiness, and perhaps even your heaven. I thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word. You can go to brothersoftheword.com 
and send this message to a friend who you think may need to hear it absolutely free of charge. Thank you for joining us today at Brothers of the Word, because brother, you need the Word. You are listening to BrothersoftheWord.com. This was the message titled, When You Fall, by Nathaniel Bronner. This message is number 5989, that's 5989, to listen to thousands of free messages, or to send this message number 5989 to a friend. Go to BrothersoftheWord.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to BrothersOfTheWord.com often because, brother, you need the Word.